Section 18 of The Extermination of the American Bison. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Extermination of the American Bison by William T. Hornaday. Part 2, Chapter 2 Methods of Slaughter. Continued. 3. Impounding or Killing in Pens At first thought it seems hard to believe that it was ever possible for Indians to build pens and drive wild buffaloes into them, as cowboys now corral their cattle. Yet such wholesale catches were of common occurrence among the plains crees of the South Saskatchewan country, and the same general plan was pursued with slight modifications by the Indians of the Assiniboine, Blackfeet, and Grovant, and other tribes of the Northwest. Like the Kedah elephant-catching operations in India, this plan was feasible only in a partially wooded country, and where buffalo were so numerous that their presence could be counted upon to a certainty. The pound was simply a circular pen having a single entrance, but being unable to construct a gate of heavy timbers, such as is made to drop and close the entrance to an elephant pen, the Indians very shrewdly got over the difficulty by making the opening at the edge of a perpendicular bank, ten or twelve feet high, easy enough for a buffalo to jump down, but impossible for him to scale afterward. It is hardly probable that Indians who were expert enough to attack and kill buffalo on foot would have been tempted to undertake the labor that building a pound always involved, had it not been for the wild excitement attending captures made in this way, and which were shared to the fullest possible extent by warriors, women, and children alike. The best description of this method which has come under our notice is that of Professor Hind, who witnessed its practice by the Plains Crees on the headwaters of the Capel River in 1858, he describes the pound he saw as a fence constructed of the trunks of trees laced together with green widths and braced on the outside by props, enclosing a circular space about 120 feet in diameter. It was placed in a pretty dell between sand hills and leading from it in two diverging rows, like the guiding wings of an elephant pen, were the two rows of bushes which the Indians designate dead men which served to guide the buffalo into the pound. The dead men extended a distance of four miles into the prairie. They were placed about fifty feet apart, and the two rows gradually diverged until at their extremities they were from one and a half to two miles apart. When the skilled hunters are about to bring in a herd of buffalo from the prairie, says Professor Hind, they direct the course of the gallop of the alarmed animals, by confederates stationed in hollows or small depressions, who, when the buffalo appear inclined to take a direction leading from the space marked out by the dead men, show themselves for a moment and wave their robes, immediately hiding again. This serves to turn the buffalo slightly in another direction, and when the animals, having arrived between the rows of dead men, endeavor to pass through them, Indians stationed here and there behind a dead man go through the same operation, and thus keep the animals within the narrowing limits of the converging lines. At the entrance to the pound there is a strong trunk of a tree placed about a foot from the ground, 
and on the inner side an excavation is made sufficiently deep to prevent the buffalo from leaping back once in the pound. As soon as the animals have taken the fatal spring, they begin to gallop round and round the ring fence, looking for a chance to escape. But with the utmost silence, women and children on the outside hold their robes before every orifice, until the whole herd is brought in. Then they climb to the top of the fence, and, with the hunters who have followed closely in the rear of the buffalo, spear or shoot with bows and arrows or firearms at the bewildered animals, rapidly becoming frantic with rage and terror, within the narrow limits of the pound. A dreadful scene of confusion and slaughter then begins. The oldest and strongest animals crush and toss the weaker. The shouts and screams of the excited Indians rise above the roaring of the bulls, the bellowing of the cows, and the piteous moaning of the calves. The dying struggles of so many huge and powerful animals crowded together create a revolting and terrible scene, dreadful from the excess of its cruelty and waste of life, but with occasional displays of wonderful brute strength and rage, while man in his savage, untutored, and heathen state shows both in deed and expression how little he is superior to the noble beasts he so wantonly and cruelly destroys. The last scene of the bloody tragedy is thus set forth a week later. Within the circular fence lay, tossed in every conceivable position, over two hundred dead buffalo. The exact number was two hundred and forty. From old bulls to calves of three months old, animals of every age, were huddled together in all the forced attitudes of violent death. Some lay on their backs, with eyes starting from their heads, and tongue thrust out through clotted gore. Others were impaled on the horns of the old and strong bulls. Others, again, which had been tossed, were lying with broken backs, two and three deep. One little calf hung suspended on the horns of a bull which had impaled it in the wild race round and round the pound. The Indians looked upon the dreadful and sickening sight, with evident delight, and told how such and such a bull or cow had exhibited feats of wonderful strength in the death-struggle. The flesh of many of the cows had been taken from them, and was drying in the sun, on stages near the tents. It is needless to say that the odor was overpowering, and millions of large blue flesh-flies, humming and buzzing over the putrefying bodies, was not the least disgusting part of the spectacle. It is some satisfaction to know that when the first run was made, ten days previous, the herd of two hundred buffaloes was no sooner driven into the pound than a wary old bull espied a weak spot in the fence, charged it at full speed, and burst through to freedom and the prairie, followed by the entire herd. Strange as it may seem to-day, this wholesale method of destroying buffalo was once practiced in Montana. In his memoir on the American bison, Mr. J. A. Allen states that as late as 1873, while journeying through that territory in charge of the Yellowstone expedition, he several times met with the remains of these pounds and their converging fences in the region above the mouth of the Bighorn River. Mr. Thomas Simpson states that in 1840 there were three camps of Assiniboine Indians in the vicinity of Carleton House, each of which had its buffalo pound, into which they drove forty or fifty animals daily. 4. THE SURROUND 
during the last forty years the final extermination of the buffalo has been confidently predicted by not only the observing white man of the west but also nearly all the indians and half-breeds who formerly depended upon this animal for most of the necessities as well as luxuries of life they have seen the great herds driven westward farther and farther until the plains were left tenantless and hunger took the place of feasting on the choice tidbits of the chase and is it not singular that during this period the indian tribes were not moved by a common impulse to kill sparingly and by the exercise of a reasonable economy in the chase to make the buffalo last as long as possible but apparently no such thoughts ever entered their minds so far as they themselves were concerned they looked with jealous eyes upon the white hunter and considered him as much of a robber as if they had a brand on every buffalo it has been claimed by some authors that the indians killed with more judgment and more care for the future than did the white man but i fail to find any evidence that such was ever the fact they all killed wastefully wantonly and always about five times as many head as were really necessary for food it was always the same old story whenever a gang of indians needed meat a whole herd was slaughtered the choicest portions of the finest animals were taken and about seventy-five per cent of the whole was left to putrefy and fatten the wolves and now as we read of the appalling slaughter one can scarcely repress the feeling of grim satisfaction that arises when we also read that many of the ex-slaughterers are almost starving for the millions of pounds of fat and juicy buffalo meat they wasted a few years ago verily the buffalo is in a great measure avenged already the following extract from mr catlin's north american indians volume one page one ninety nine two hundred serves well to illustrate not only a very common and very deadly indian method of wholesale slaughter the surround but also to show the senseless destructiveness of indians even when in a state of semi-starvation which was brought upon them by similar acts of improvidence and wastefulness the minotauris as well as the mandans had suffered for some months past for want of meat and had indulged in the most alarming fears that the herds of buffalo were emigrating so far off from them that there was great danger of their actual starvation when it was suddenly announced through the village one morning at an early hour that a herd of buffaloes was in sight a hundred or more young men mounted their horses with weapons in hand and steered their course to the prairies the plan of attack which in this country is familiarly called a surround was explicitly agreed upon and the buffalo hunters who were all mounted on their buffalo horses and armed with bows and arrows or long lances divided into two columns taking opposite directions and drew themselves gradually around the herd at a mile or more distance from them thus forming a circle of horsemen at equal distances apart who gradually closed in upon them with a moderate pace at a signal given the unsuspecting herd at length got the wind of the approaching enemy and fled in a mass in the greatest confusion to the point where they were aiming to cross the line the horsemen were seen at full speed gathering and forming in a column brandishing their weapons and yelling in the most frightful manner by which they turned the black and rushing mass which moved off in an opposite direction where they were again met and foiled in a similar manner and wheeled back in utter confusion 
by which time the horsemen had closed in from all directions, forming a continuous line around them, whilst the poor affrighted animals were eddying about in a crowded and confused mass, hooking and climbing upon each other, when the work of death commenced. I had rode up in the rear, and occupied an elevated position at a few rods' distance, from which I could, like the general of a battlefield, survey from my horse's back the nature and progress of the grand melee, but, unlike him, without the power of issuing a command or in any way directing its issue. In this grand turmoil a cloud of dust was soon raised, which in parts obscured the throng where the hunters were galloping their horses around, and driving the whizzing arrows or their long lances to the hearts of these noble animals, which, in many instances, becoming infuriated with deadly wounds in their sides, erected their shaggy manes over their bloodshot eyes, and furiously plunged forward at the sides of their assailants' horses, sometimes goring them to death at a lunge, and putting their dismounted riders to flight for their lives. Sometimes their dense crowd was opened, and the blinded horsemen, too intent on their prey amidst the cloud of dust, were hemmed and wedged in amidst the crowding beasts, over whose backs they were obliged to leap for security, leaving their horses to the fate that might await them in the results of this wild and desperate war. Many were the bulls that turned upon their assailants, and met them with desperate resistance, and many were the warriors who were dismounted and saved themselves by the superior muscles of their legs. Some who were closely pursued by the bulls wheeled suddenly around, and snatching the part of a buffalo robe from around their waists, threw it over the horns and eyes of the infuriated beast, and darting by its side, drove the arrow or the lance to its heart others suddenly dashed off upon the prairie by the side of the affrighted animals which had escaped from the throng, and closely escorting them for a few rods, brought down their heart's blood in streams and their huge carcasses upon the green and enameled turf. In this way the grand hunt soon resolved itself into a desperate battle, and in the space of fifteen minutes resulted in the total destruction of the whole herd which in all their strength and fury were doomed, like every beast and living thing else, to fall before the destroying hands of mighty man. I had sat in trembling silence upon my horse, and witnessed this extraordinary scene, which allowed not one of these animals to escape out of my sight. Many plunged off upon the prairie for a distance, but were overtaken and killed, and although I could not distinctly estimate the number that were slain, yet I am sure that some hundreds of these noble animals fell in this grand melee. Amongst the poor affrighted creatures that had occasionally dashed through the ranks of their enemy and sought safety in flight upon the prairie, and in some instances had undoubtedly gained it, I saw them stand a while looking back when they turned, and, as if bent on their own destruction, retraced their steps, and mingled themselves and their deaths with those of the dying throng, Others had fled to a distance on the prairies, and for want of company, of friends, or of foes, had stood and gazed on till the battle scene was over, seemingly taking pains to stay and hold their lives in readiness for their destroyers until the general destruction was over, when they fell easy victims to their weapons, making the slaughter complete. It is to be noticed that every animal of this entire herd of several hundred was slain on the spot, 
and there is no room to doubt that at least half, possibly much more, of the meat thus taken was allowed to become a loss. People who are so utterly senseless as to wantonly destroy their own source of food, as the Indians have done, certainly deserve to starve. This surround method of wholesale slaughter was also practiced by the Cheyennes, Arapahoes, Sioux, Pawnees, Ornabas, and probably many other tribes. 5. Decoying and Driving Another method of slaughtering by wholesale is thus described by Lewis and Clark, volume 1, page 235. The locality indicated was the Missouri River in Montana, just above the mouth of the Judith River. On the north we passed a precipice, about a hundred and twenty feet high, under which lay scattered the fragments of at least one hundred carcasses of buffaloes, although the water, which had washed away the lower part of the hill, must have carried off many of the dead. These buffaloes had been chased down a precipice in a way very common on the Missouri, and by which vast herds are destroyed in a moment. The mode of hunting is to select one of the most active and fleet young men, who is disguised by a buffalo skin round his body. The skin of the head with the ears and horns fastened on his own head in such a way as to deceive the buffaloes. Thus dressed, he fixes himself at a convenient distance between a herd of buffaloes and any of the river precipices, which sometimes extend for some miles. His companions, in the meantime, get in the rear and side of the herd, and at a given signal show themselves and advance toward the buffaloes. They instantly take alarm, and finding the hunters beside them, they run toward the disguised Indian or decoy, who leads them on at full speed toward the river, when, suddenly securing himself in some crevice of the cliff which he had previously fixed upon, the herd is left on the brink of the precipice. It is then in vain for the foremost to retreat, or even to stop, for they are pressed on by the hindmost rank, who, seeing no danger but from the hunters, goad on those before them, till the whole are precipitated, and the shore is strewed with their dead bodies. Sometimes in this perilous seduction the Indian is himself either trodden underfoot by the rapid movements of the buffaloes, or, missing his footing on the cliff, is urged down the precipice by the falling herd. The Indians then select as much meat as they wish, and the rest is abandoned to the wolves, and creates a most dreadful stench. Harper's Magazine, volume 38, page 147, contains the following from the pen of Theodore E. Davis, in an article entitled The Buffalo Range. As I have previously stated, the best hunting on the range is to be found between the Platte and Arkansas rivers. Here I have seen the Indians have recourse to another method of slaughtering buffalo, in a very easy but to me a cruel way, for where one buffalo is killed several are sure to be painfully injured, but these too are soon killed by the Indians, who make haste to lance or shoot the cripples. The mode of hunting is somewhat as follows. A herd is discovered grazing on the table-lands. Being thoroughly acquainted with the country, the Indians are aware of the location of the nearest point where the table-land is broken abruptly by a precipice, which descends a hundred or more feet. Toward this devil-jump the Indians head the herd, which is at once driven pell-mell to and over the precipice. 
meanwhile a number of indians have taken their way by means of routes known to them and succeed in reaching the canyon through which the crippled buffalo are running in all directions these are quickly killed so that out of a very considerable band of buffalo but few escape many having been killed by the fall and others dispatched while limping off this mode of hunting is sometimes indulged in by harum scarum white men but it is done more for deviltry than anything else i have never known of its practice by army officers or persons who professed to hunt buffalo as a sport six hunting on snowshoes in the dead of the winters says mr catlin which are very long and severely cold in this country where horses cannot be brought into the chase with any avail the indian runs upon the surface of the snow by aid of his snowshoes which buoy him up while the great weight of the buffaloes sinks them down to the middle of their sides and completely stopping their progress ensures them certain and easy victims to the bow or lance of their pursuers the snow in these regions often lies during the winter to the depth of three and four feet being blown away from the tops and sides of the hills in many places which are left bare for the buffaloes to graze upon whilst it is drifted in the hollows and ravines to a very great depth and rendered almost entirely impassable to these huge animals which when closely pursued by their enemies endeavour to plunge through it but are soon wedged in and almost unable to move where they fall an easy prey to the indian who runs up lightly upon his snowshoes and drives his lance to their hearts the skins are then stripped off to be sold to the fur traders and the carcasses left to be devoured by the wolves owing to the fact that the winter's supply of meat was procured and dried in the summer and fall months the flesh of all buffalo killed in winter was allowed to become a total loss this is the season in which the greatest number of these animals are destroyed for their robes they are most easily killed at this time and their hair or fur being longer and more abundant gives greater value to the robe end of section eighteen